Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Shannon Confessori and Michael Reedy about anticipating the future of work that relies on interdependence and team-wide accountability for safety standards. Sharon Confessori and Michael Reedy, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's good Thank to be here. Much. Yeah, it's great to have both of you here with me today. You're both on the East Coast. I'm coming uh, to you from Utah, and it's a beautiful summer day, and it's a great opportunity for us to get together and to have a nice conversation. Today, we're going to be focusing on anticipating the future of work that relies on interdependence and team-wide accountability for safety standards within organizations. I know that's a bit of a mouthful. We'll dissect that a little bit. But the bottom line is things are changing. Things are shifting. Certainly, COVID accelerated us into some of the shifts that were already starting to happen. And they're a reality now. And organizations are going to have to increasingly grapple with this. And there are so many different facets of this, this shifting nature of work and the future of work. But one of those pieces is safety, workplace safety. And how do we do that? So looking at interdependence and team-wide accountability, I think, is a really great focus. And I'm excited to explore that with you today. As we get started, I wanted to share... Michael and Sharon's bio with everybody. Michael Reedy is a senior consultant at Interaction Associates and former head of the Dublin Institute of Adult Education, has been training teams in safety culture best practices for more than three decades. His expertise has supported companies around the world. So many great clients that you've worked with, Michael, uh, and I'm excited to bring your expertise in uh, to this conversation. Sharon Confessori is a health system executive experienced in talent development, training, leadership development, executive coaching, change management, innovation, adoption, organizational culture, and restructuring. She's known for creating people-focused strategies and best practices for implementing corporate-wide learning solutions, which she's applied as the chief learning officer of a regional faith-based health system and as a unit head of a fully integrated national health system. Uh, Sharon, great to have you. It's wonderful to have both of you, both of you as my guests today. Before we launch on into the conversation, anything else about yourselves, your personal backgrounds that you would like to share with listeners before we get started? Sure, if if I could, um, you know, the part of this that's most exciting for me is that human resource and human capital leaders are in the most amazing place right now in in terms of their work and in terms of the value that um, we bring to organizations. Um, when I think back on my 20 years of experience, each of the kinds of conditions and situations we are now dealing with all at once, we could seemingly take uh, one at a time. But now what we've got is just so many moving parts. 
we've got to deal with the changing conditions, you know, the practical, legal, medical, all of those pieces. Mean, in the meantime, we also have to figure out what we're going to do around reshaping our workforce and the conditions that we have to sustain and even rebuild the conditions for resilience in our organizations. And finally, the bottom line with this all is our leaders and how are we going to support our leaders as we go forward. And so I'm very excited to be here today and I'm very excited to be part of this, this uh, brave new world that is human capital and human resources. Our HR leaders have a huge task in front of them and I'm uh, proud to be a part of the solution set as we move forward. Yeah, thank you for that. It's absolutely true. Uh, this uh, HR has always been a, a challenging area and there's so many different facets to it. Um, but the, the scope, the scale of change over this past 18 months uh, has not been for the faint of heart. And I think uh, moving into the future, it's going to continue to just be a, a huge challenge and a huge opportunity. Um, Michael, anything you would like to add before we launch on in? I think my privilege, uh, John, over the past 24 years uh, living in North America, living mostly in Boston, but working mostly in North America, but with a company that has had a global reach, has actually been uh, through organizational development or human resources or human capital innovators. And so what I have really dedicated my life to um, is shifting the focus from an, an I, me, mine focus to a, and how does, how does a leader shift the focus to an us and a we and an ours culture? And so uh, underpinning that or the, the blood in the veins of that, it seems to me, is co-creating collaborative cultures. And so at the end of um, these, this moment in my life and at the end of the pandemic, or please, at the end of the pandemic, um, I'm noticing that this cross-cultural, cross-collaborative mentality, um, ability to leave your fixed opinion and innovate uh, in a creative way, in a collaborative way, is paramount. So I, I am... Delighted to be with you in this conversation. Uh, at, at, I think a vital moment where everyone is reappraising or reassessing, uh, to uh, to use the, a word that the Harvard business people have focused on in a, a report recently out of the Kennedy School of Government, actually, uh, from 87 countries. This reappraisal is what's going on, it seems to me. Yeah, thank you, Michael, uh, for that addition. And yeah, I completely agree. I, I think the nature of what we're dealing with is uh, ever-present and challenging, of course. Um, as we look into the, the collaborative nature that's needed in order to drive innovation within organizations, uh, you know, it's, it speaks, it, it's, it's like this, this challenging thing because so much, you know, as we look at the shifting nature of work, as we look at shifts in the workplace during COVID, you know, a lot of this has meant more distributed workforce, more virtual workforce or hybrid workforce. Uh, and it's hard enough to have like good collaborative environments and, and strong, positive culture when you're all together, when you're all spread out and you may never even be in the same room with the person it's still possible, but it's, it's challenging and it's new for a lot of people. Uh, and so 
figuring that out within this kind of current context and moving into the future of work, I think is going to continue to be a challenge uh, in a variety of ways. And of course, as, as we come back to the topic for today, when we're focusing on accountability and safety uh, within organizations and, and trying to make sure that people are, are paying attention to that, it's really important. Um, now, it's interesting, and perhaps we can start here. Um, now, if, if we're working virtually, we're in a virtual distributed team, and we're never together in the same place, perhaps that reduces some of the safety risks that people would have experienced traditionally in a physical office space, but it probably opens up new risks and new challenges that organizations perhaps hadn't really thought much about in the past. I'm curious what you think about that and you know, what, what, are, what are kind of the scope and scale of the types of safety risks and challenges facing organizations as we move into more like hybrid work and uh, a more consistent virtual kind of workplace for a lot of uh, people? I think there are a couple of, a couple of risks and challenges that that come up immediately. The first one is is that when people are all together in, in a space, they co-create their their reality together. And so the way that they work together and the way that they interact together um, looks very different than when we're distributed and we come together via the the, the Zoom machine, if you will. And so I think one of the, the real challenges for organizations going forward is to pay attention to the fact that every, while everybody has participated in the pandemic, each of us has had our own experience. And part of what needs to happen before an organization can go forward is for the, for the organization to create their collective story about what the experience was. And I think one of the risks is, is that if we don't, it's going to be much more difficult to do that as long as the, as the employees are distributed. And it's gonna require a, a huge amount of attention and focus to take the time to say, let's talk about what this experience has been. So we create the organizational level story of our last 15 months so that people can begin to sort of put everything in context. I think until we do that, it's going to be very difficult to move on to the future and take everybody with us. Um, Michael? Yeah, thank you. Michael? I think it's really interesting the, um, the moment we're in. Uh, as Sharon has said, we're in a moment uh, where um, many have experienced total distribution. Um, and depending on where you are in the organization, in terms of maybe seniority, maybe the kind of work you do, many people have actually are now in the in the hybrid. They're going in for two days. They're uh, they're going in for three days. And so there is, it seems to me, a um, a safety principles almost that we draw on uh, to build a culture of safety. And we actually have quite a resourceful reflection on this from at least two industries that I'm very familiar with. One, one is the healthcare industry um, and the other is the nuclear industry, both of whom uh, put and have to put uh, a culture of safety uh, as their first priority. I'm not an expert in the same way that Sharon is the expert, uh, having worked uh, all her life within uh, the, the healthcare industry, but through my work I have um, come to understand that there is a personal dimension 
there is an emotional safety dimension and there is a psychological safety dimension. And I think they operate whether you're in uh, the building metaphorically or uh, whether you're distributed. My own personal, um, my own personal need to be seen, um, to be heard, my own personal need to feel that I'm part of the culture of co-creating that Sharon has said so eloquently, that that is the task to at least tell the story, the common story, and then create yeah. the future story. Um, so I, my own sense of uh, where we are at the moment is there, there is a mental um, invitation, an invitation to be careful about the mental well-being of people. Uh, and, and I think nobody really d does that better than uh, I think the two industries are referred to the, the, the nuclear industry, paradoxically, uh, and the healthcare industry. So maybe Sharon could say a little bit more about those, those, those well, principles, the, perhaps. The, the two principles that come to mind immediately is, is that we know that in a safety culture, leaders create conditions where people feel comfortable raising issues and offering, offering uh, advice and information. And in a distributed workforce, that's going to become much more difficult and ways to in include people are gonna become a lot more important. I've heard from any number of, of clients that people are zooming out and so they're not as connected as they might be. So that would be one that I would see as a, is a critical issue. And then the other is, is that employees have to feel comfortable raising issues and knowing that there's a culture of trust. And, and to some degree that comes from daily interactions. And I think the electronic media uh, mitigates some of that to some degree. So extra effort on the part of the leader to create that trusting environment is gonna be essential going forward. Yeah, I completely agree with kind of those buckets um, that you both have mentioned, certainly psychological safety and emotional uh, safety is super important for employees. And that can be challenging when you're all together, when you're distributed, you just have to be much more uh, deliberate about it, much more purposeful in, in the interactions that you create because they don't happen organically anymore. Um, you just have to make sure, you kind of have to manufacture those opportunities. Um, and then of course the physical safety elements and you both raised really great points in terms of psychological safety, being able to speak up, to speak out when you notice a problem. Um, but then the other piece, you know, that was mentioned also is if, if we have a hybrid workforce, um, it, that raises a challenge in my mind. I, I haven't done the research on this, but if, if we have everyone together all the time and we have workplace safety measures, um, you know, physical safety types of issues, and people are aware of them, they understand the, the practices, they understand uh, how to navigate those elements and, and if something happens they know the process to report it they know how to raise the concern whatever but now we're moving into a hybrid model where people aren't around all the time and perhaps they're out of habit they're they're not as familiar they forget they they don't take it as seriously whatever it seems like that could create conditions where physical safety uh, challenges could increase dramatically uh, if not handled 
you know, very proactively. So, you know, I think on all sides, the, the emotional, the psychological, the, the physical, we need to focus on these safety elements. And you both have mentioned repeatedly already how, how that has to be a team effort that, that can't just be me as the leader saying, okay, everybody, you know, like get everyone together in a zoom meeting and say, here's the checklist of like, these are the things you have to do. Um, you know, there's a time and a place for information sharing like that. But for the most yeah. part, if you're going to have a good, safe environment in all those different areas that we just discussed, you have to do it in a collaborative manner. You have to have, you have to develop, uh, create buy-in. You have to get other people committed to it, and not just feeling like they're complying with um, some stupid standard that's just an annoyance and a waste of time. Uh, because guess what? When they feel that way, they're going to take shortcuts. They're going to ignore it, um, and thing, bad things will happen, and people will get hurt um, in, in various ways. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI press, bluer than indigo leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. I totally agree. I, I think there is a moment here of co-creating the working environment anew. Uh, and it's it's territory that we've somewhat, um, that's somewhat absolutely new to us, given uh, of, our, of our countries throughout the globe. Um, one of the big notions I would say to build on what you said, John, is the is creating the conditions for decision making to be shared or to be distributed. And um, Sharon has spoken about co-creating the conditions uh, for a number of things, but I would add co-creating the conditions whereby people feel that they can own their part and clear on their invitation to be part of the decision-making process. The leader is not usually best equipped to be the only leader, the only person making decisions, um, given different levels of expertise, given different um, different environments, different knowledge even. Uh, it seems fair to me to say we need a collaborative way of making decisions. And then we need clarity on levels of involvement. I use a phrase sometimes that says that uh, very few parents call their own child ugly um, as applied to decision-making. If you can create the culture where people make their own 
they know they've made the decision with others. Uh, they have a different ownership of it. And that applies to the environment. I think it implies to the, the actual work we're doing. It involves, of course, the safety. What are the decisions we're going to make about keeping ourselves safe, whether we're in work in person or whether we're in work digitally or uh, from a distance. Yeah, excellent. Sharon, anything you'd like to add to that? A couple things. One is, is that the, to, to validate sort of our collective thinking about this, Mackenzie recently released a, a piece on the organizations that have made big strides during the pandemic. And they talk about what the conditions were in place for these organizations. And first and foremost was um, pushing down decision-making responsibility. And interestingly, focusing on team building activities and team effective activity, effectiveness activities as part of that. And what they found was those organizations that went back to how is our team working together um, leaders focusing on very clear goals and strategy, and then leaving the decision making to the people closest to the to the action or the or the outcome, um, were way way ahead of their colleagues who failed to do that. Um, so the the collaborative decision making is clearly a, an important piece of that work. I would say another critical piece to that work is around building a listening culture. So we talk about, you know, in a safety culture, leaders listen and they do walk arounds. But to be truly effective, listening also involves asking very good questions. And we talk a lot about the difference between advocacy and inquiry. Inquiry is when you ask a, que a neutral question with an eye towards hearing what everyone has to say as opposed to advocacy, which of course is where you lead with your opinion and then open up the conversation, which as we all know, is not the most effective way to get the, the best and the most open feedback. Uh, I think one of the challenges going forward, short-term in particular, but even long-term, as leaders are pushed to um, manage multiple new conditions and situations that they're in for the first time, that the tendency will be to lean toward advocacy versus inquiry. And it's an opportune moment to emphasize the inquiry. Even as a leader, you just want, to, you just want decisions made so you can move forward. So there's going to be a very interesting um, opportunity, I think, for human resource leaders, um, business partners, to emphasize the, this need to inquire and balance the advocacy as they're coaching their leaders going forward. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's great, and this really raises, you know, part of the initial point of this conversation. I think, which is that shared accountability. Mm -hmm. um, for this kind of safety culture, the safety environment. And so everything that you're both saying is absolutely a key pillars of creating that shared accountability structure. Uh, and I think, you know, when we empower people to make decisions, when we listen to the feedback that they have, when, when we give them ownership uh, over the implementation and such, when, when they feel buy into that, um, 
another, you know, extension of that is now there's going to be greater levels of shared ac accountability, mutual accountability and trust between parties. Uh, whereas if you don't do it that way, and, and the, the McKinsey report that you refer to is a great example, show, highlighting examples um, of where it's working really well and where, where companies are lagging. When you don't do it that way, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the classic kind of compliance versus commitment culture within organizations. We see it all the time and, and manifesting in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Safety is just one more example. Uh, when you have top-down edicts to your people, it's fear-based largely, even if that's not your intention as a leader, it's, it's perceived as fear-based, like punitive. If you don't do this, you're in trouble. Um, and, and that, that can drive, uh, compliance with the rule, the policy, whatever. But if you want commitment from people, you want buy-in, you want engagement, you want them to proactively try to do those things. The commitment, which is long-term and sustainable, that only comes through the empowerment approach, the empowerment culture that we're, we've been talking about. And then they hold each other mutually accountable because they were all part of the process of coming up with those standards and understanding what their responsibilities were. Yes. I agree. I will add, however, that, the, that there is a learning process involved in being able for that to occur. And we tend to think of the leader as the one who needs to empower people to do that. And that's absolutely true. So a critical function of a learning unit in an organization or the HR team in the organization is to help the leader become more capable in doing those things. But the other piece of it is, is that the people who are part of the team need to be ready to take on that responsibility. Because, you know, with, as we started the conversation, with decision-making um, authority comes decision-making responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a whole learning process that needs to happen here in the building of mutual trust that needs to occur. So as, as the leader says, I'm going to involve you in the process of decision-making, let's say, you can't, you, you've got to work the team through a process to, to understand and build up to conditions that make it work. So when Michael talks about this idea of levels of decision-making, you know, there are tools that we can use that say, let's start off, let's talk about decisions, let's talk about levels of decision-making. How willing am I a leader to give up this, this big or this amount of authority, or can I work into it step by step, and when is, my, when is my team ready to take on the big decisions? Because to go from zero to 60 in two decisions <laughs> will be a very interesting outcome as they go forward. And again, I think this is a real opportunity for HR and, and HCI leaders to uh, understand how you can develop this capability in an organization, because in fact, it can be taught. To build a little on, I, I think the I love the the, the emphasis uh, on accountability uh, and shared accountability, as you said, John. Um, and the, it seems to me that the leader 
uh, has the task. Um, I, I first heard this uh, when I came to this country from Ireland uh, in 1995. I, I've, I, I first worked uh, at a company called GE Capital and their big, big leader was called Jack Welch. And one of his big phrases was, in, in, I've heard it say it many times to uh, large groups of leaders, your job is to move your people from compliance to commitment. I'm sure it wasn't his own phrase, but I heard him say it. And I thought, this, this is a leader, that's the leader's vocation, is to move your people from compliance to commitment. And that means shared responsibility for success and shared responsibility for failure. And I actually prefer it to accountability. Um, because accountability has a little bit of I hold you accountable does, in yeah. my head uh, or in my mind and so I, somebody famous said, said there's one finger pointing at you but there's three fingers pointing back at myself when I make this gesture um, so that shared responsibility for success seems uh, to me what Jaron is really talking about shared responsibility for decision making shared responsibility for co-creating the vision Shared responsibility for safety. Um, now, shared responsibility uh, is, um, it's almost an invitation to be an adult <laughs> at work. Uh, you, you know uh, what? And- it's so funny that you say that because it's very often that I find myself kind of just talking to myself saying, oh my goodness, like when some drama emerges in an organization or I'm working with somebody and it's more complicated than it needs to be, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, why can't everyone just act like a mature adult? <laughs> uh, but the reality is, you know, people are messy and organizations are messy. And so, you know, things don't always work out as cleanly or smoothly as you ho- would hope. What, bo- both of what you say, I think is absolutely right. And Sharon, your point about not going from zero to 60 is well taken. Absolutely. Like if we don't already have a culture where we can share uh, in, in the development process, the decision-making process, it's going to take you time to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether we're talking about safety or strategic planning or anything, right. Uh, it's going to take time to get there. So we, we want to make sure that we scaffold the experience for our, uh, our people so that they can have success. Uh, ultimately driving success is what we're going for. Well, Sharon and Michael, it has been a real pleasure. I note the time it has flown by. I, I know you're busy. You probably have other things you need to get onto, but before we close, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure. Um, I can be reached at C, capital C, suite, S-U-I-T-E, three.com. And that's Sharon Confessori at C, suite, three.com. My last name is spelled C-O-N-F is in Frank, E-S-S is in Sam, O-R-E. Uh, and I think my last thought for the day would be, um, it is the best of times and it is the worst of times. I think, the, I think that we will um, not only survive this period, but we will thrive. And as a person who's made her, her vocation to be in learning, The opportunities for learning are immense, and I look forward to supporting uh, organizations and HR professionals as they continue to learn and and accelerate the learning in their companies. Wonderful. Thank you. And Michael? Um, Michael, 
Michael Reedy, uh, reachable, reachable at uh, M Reedy, R E I D Y, at someone thought this was a great idea, interactionassociates.com. Uh, it's a long one, but it's the name of the organization that I joined in 1997 and have remained with. Um, and my final word with, uh, happily remained with, uh, committedly remained with, and um, find it, the, the, the philosophy of leadership that I would uh, want to leave with you is a philosophy that says leaders have the ability to make it easier for people to be part of their own work environment. Leaders have the ability to make it easier for people to make decisions and be clear on their level of involvement. Leaders have the ability to co-create the environment where they make it easier for people to solve problems, to share their worries and to share their anxieties. And I call that leadership facilitative leadership. Uh, and I facilitate from the Latin facilare, meaning to make easy. And so I, I want to leave you with, there is, uh, there's a way of being that a leader can embrace. And I, I, I would call it, be a facilitative leader. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Sharon. It has been a real pleasure being with both of you today. You, I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Sharon and Michael can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.